Hello and welcome to the new podcast from the Blue Earth Summit, a movement and community driving positive action for our natural world. In October 2021, we brought together over 800 changemakers, business leaders, content creators and activists for our inaugural Blue Earth Summit event in Bristol. It was two days of talks, workshops, inspiring conversations and outdoor activities around three big ideas. Living and working sustainably, protecting our outdoor playgrounds and inspiring a healthy outlook. We've decided to put this podcast together to share those ideas with you. This first series will bring you all the best talks and panel discussions from the Blue Earth Summit Year 1 at the Old Marble Factory. That's motion for you Bristol locals. And we're going to kick off the series with the irrepressible Hugo Tagholm from Surfers Against Sewage, whose emotionally charged talk grabbed the audience and moved some to tears. So enjoy and be captivated by his talk, Ocean Activism, Challenging the System from the Sand. So I run Surfers Against Sewage, which has been a great privilege for, for 12 years now. And I'm going to talk today a bit about our theory of change, about people power. Uh, we're often conned by the system around us um, and by big business that it is our individual fault and responsibility, even though we're trapped in the systems that big business tends to create. Um, we see it with the plastic pollution issue being framed as littering by many, many big businesses, whereas it's really systems failure. We see it on the water quality debate. Water companies are endlessly telling us that it's our fault for flushing the wrong things down the toilet. I've seen endless campaigns over my 10 years at SAS um, focused on that. It's not about that. This is about really big profiteering businesses not putting the right systems in place to contain and control the pollution that they're responsible for. And look, it's great to be here today. Um, as the other speakers have said, um, one of the first big events since the lockdown. Um, and well done to you all on getting through this difficult two years. It's been really, really tough. The last event we had was actually our 30th anniversary celebration in Cornwall, near our office in St. Agnes, uh, where we celebrated the founders, uh, many of the activists that we have in our network. We announced Prince Charles as our patron, um, on that day our first ever patron, uh, who was there with us. But the pandemic has been really, really tough for us all. And you know, my heart and my thoughts are with all of the people who have been directly affected. But there have been, been massive other impacts and insights that it's brought to us. Uh, we did a survey after the first lockdown, a public survey that showed that the ocean and the beach was the number one environment that people missed for their health and well-being. That's where they were going to flock to once they were released from that lockdown. And we saw new statistics and evidence coming out about the environmental gains and losses from the pandemic. We heard stories of dolphins returning to coastlines, dolphins coming up rivers, um, all sorts of animals and wildlife being re-seen in spaces they weren't seen before. We saw the greatest reduction in carbon emissions in 2020 that the world has seen, 7%. That involved us all stopping flying, that individual behaviour. What is the other 93%, the systems that are driving all of that carbon into our environment? We saw the rise in new types of plastic pollution, face masks and gloves, 130 billion face masks used every single month around the world. This is a face mask um, in the water at Perrinport, my favourite beach near my house in Cornwall. Um, I was out swimming with my son Darwin and there were loads of these in the water that day. So we're seeing the impacts. But there's 
good things as well. I got to surf during some of the tail end lockdowns by myself in waves like this. Um, near my house again, this is Port Tawan um, during one of the lockdowns. But I wanted to talk to you today about people power, people um, challenging the system and how we've done it at Surface Against Sewage. And we're this year 31 years old. Um, we were born in Cornwall. We're still in pretty much the same village. We've always been in St. Agnes. Um, and we rose up in May 1990. Um, in a decade that's not dissimilar from the decade we're all in at the moment, in terms of some of the, 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 the textures of people and power. Back then, surfers were sick of getting sick from going in to do their favourite pastime, riding waves, and they decided to rise up against it. They took to the streets of Cornwall, of London, Manchester, Scotland, Edinburgh, um, right around the country with their surfboards, their gas masks, inflatable turds. It was quite an eye-catching um, stunt for the time. Surfing was still a fringe sport. It's not like it is today. We've got other fringe sports rising up in, in the sector, wild swimming, stand-up paddleboarding, but surfing was on the fringes, so it's really, really visible. And that decade was similar to now. It's a decade of people power, people demanding change. It's a decade of the poll tax riots, people campaigning against a really unfair tax. We've just seen a similar thing, 20 pounds reduced, uh, taken away from the poorest in society every week. Very unfair. People rising up on environmental issues, chaining themselves to trees and digging holes to stop bypasses or forests being cut down. And we're seeing the same today, the incredible movement of people rising up, particularly on the issue of climate change and biodiversity loss. But the difference between these two decades is in the 1990s, we had a rising tide of legislation um, coming in from Europe particularly, a rising tide of finance to support the regulators um, tackling the polluters. And sadly, today we find ourselves in a time we've left Europe, we've got a dropping tide of legislation, um, of regulation, of finance to be able to hold polluters to account. And that means we're in quite a wave of pollution. As one of my heroes says, Water and air, the two essential fluids on which all life depends, have become global garbage cans. And this was decades ago that this was said by Jacques Cousteau. But this is still sadly the case. Carbon dioxide being pumped into the atmosphere and sewage still being pumped into our rivers and ocean. Despite the work we've done over the last 30 years, the water companies are still getting away with blue murder. Or should I say brown murder? 3.1 million hours of sewage pollution was pumped into our rivers and our coastline last year. That's 8,500 hours every single day. 400,000 separate sewage pollution events in the spaces that we should be able to use without fear of getting ill. In spaces that are vital for wildlife and for um, biodiversity. In between the red and yellow flags where we like to go with our families, where families will take their children, seemingly thinking it's very safe. We tracked and traced over 3,000 sewage pollution incidences last year alone. Just 14% of the rivers in this country meet good ecological status, and we're currently ranked at the bottom of all our European friends in terms of bathing water quality. And water companies don't just pollute with plastics, they, uh, with sewage, they pollute also with plastics. And this is why the campaign continues. Um, I was in Whitstable at the weekend um, 
at a, at a huge sewage um, demonstration, probably 2,000 people coming together to campaign against Southern Water. I think arguably the biggest sewage demonstration that the country has ever seen, even from the 1990s. We're seeing this new community of people rising up, just like my predecessors did in the 1990s um, in Cornwall, um, to, to target the water companies who do need a huge punch on the nose. And they will try to pull us in, put an arm around us and say, look, we've got to work together and collaborate. And we say, no, the key is for us to keep on calling you out, keep on challenging you until we see a reduction, a huge reduction, indeed an elimination of sewage pollution in the places that we love, the business relies on, the people rely on, we will keep calling you out. That's what we do through our Safer Seas and River Service, an app that can help you track and trace when sewage pollution is going into your favourite spots, but also contact water company CEOs and MPs to tell them that it's not good enough. The campaign will continue, and I'm hopeful that we'll see thriving rivers and coastal spots by 2030. But we are more than surfers, and we're more than just sewage. Our beaches bring us together as a focal point for community action. That's where we see um, all of the issues. Sewage pollution, plastic pollution, coastal erosion, unnecessary developments. These are the spots we love, and so it's up to us to call business out. So many things happening. We're on the front line of sea level rises, of ocean warming, of plastic pollution. Extreme rainfall will drive even more pollution into the spaces that we love. And sewage pollution destroys marine life. We've got people in the audience today who are working on replanting seagrass and defending these amazing coastal ecosystems. But sewage pollution destroys seagrass. How can we be, with one hand, planting these amazing plants and, on the other hand, allowing the water industry to destroy them? And that sewage pollution also carries critical emerging threats antibiotic-resistant bacteria found to be three times more prevalent in the guts of surfers and swimmers than of the background population, and industrial fishing running rampant through marine protected areas in this country. But what people see most of all in our community is plastic pollution. 12 million tonnes of plastic dumped in the ocean every single year. This isn't littering. This is a systems failure. And there was a big tipping point back in 2014 in terms of bringing people together, inspiring people to take action. Storm Hercules, a massive storm that hit the west of England. This pressure chart from the time, the black area there, the huge energy driving massive waves on shore that brought with it all of this plastic. It regurgitated it back onto the beach. I took my team down onto this beach. This is the other end of, of Perrinport Beach, uh, where I surf often. Um, and it was, it was covered. We picked up thousands of plastic bottles in just one hour. And that, that event inspired many, many new community groups to come together to demand change. We saw new charities evolving and rising. We saw community beach clean groups coming together to mobilise and clean up the spots that they loved most. It was a step change in how the world started to see plastic pollution, but even more so was the Blue Planet. I'm sure you've all seen it. Um, and um, I had the good fortune of talking alongside the, one of the producers, James Honeybourne, um, recently. Um, and he talked 
um, about all of the incredible behavior of fish and sea life that had never been seen before, um, new uh, species they had never documented. But what stuck with me most of all when he talked was that out of seven hours of broadcasting, just 14 minutes was dedicated to plastic pollution. And this is a, a documentary that's now fetted to be the plastic pollution documentary. Everyone thinks about plastic when they think about the blue planet. But what a change it created. It showed just how powerful a good piece of communication can be delivered at the right time to a big audience to change hearts and minds. It was what um, suddenly made government pay attention. Suddenly we could put plastic pollution stories on the front page of national newspapers day after day. A, a really big step change in how the world responded and thought about plastic pollution, which led to lots of good discussion, consultation and um, engagement. But I'm not sure it's led to the necessary action we really need to see yet. We're very proud we work with with hundreds of thousands of, of, of community volunteers around the country every year. And we've just completed, actually, our million-mile beach clean. We've, we've worked with 100,000 volunteers this year alone, and we've just completed um, a million miles with them all. So, a, sort of a, a, yeah, a big round of applause for our volunteers, actually. I know we've got some in the audience here today, but, but we know we, we can't pick our way out of the problem. We never would have thought back in 1990, or we don't think it today, that we're going to give volunteers mops to go out and mop up sewage. And we can't think the same on plastic pollution. And thankfully, when, in 2017, when, when, the, um, when the Blue Planet came out, we had already thought about what was beyond beach cleans. And we had devised a, a community action plan to reduce the plastic footprint of communities around the country. It was called Plastic Free Communities. And um, I was really ambitious, I thought. Let's get 125 communities to work on this five-step plan, a bit like the fair trade towns we heard mentioned earlier, um, but on plastic pollution. And we're already at 850 communities around the country, bringing government, um, local government, schools, other charities together um, to try and eliminate um, single-use um, plastics from many, many places in, in their area. Um, because as I say, we, we can't pick our way out of the problem. And our, our, our Beach Clean um, initiatives and our Plastic Free Community initiative is really about challenging the systems around us. Um, and our Beach Cleans give us data. Our Beach Cleaners are citizen scientists. They're also campaigners. I um, mean, they collect that data on the ground. Uh, we put it together. And then we challenge companies with that data. Coca-Cola, always number one. Pepsi-Cola, always in the top three. McDonald's, uh, Mondelez, who make um, Cadbury's um, chocolate uh, and other confectionery. All of these companies that are pumping out more plastic than we've ever seen before, and that's set to increase, and who haven't got the systems that are fit to contain and control that plastic. We need to keep saying it from the beachfront, we need to keep bringing the evidence together. We need to keep empowering people to challenge the systems at the right moment, whether that's um, during the Environment Bill, COP26, or anything else. Because the decisions that are made here, and we've had successes, evidence that we've um, brought together with people like you, volunteers around the country has helped us bring in the plastic bag charge, the ban on straws and stirrers and cotton bud sticks, the imminent deposit return scheme that will stop billions of plastic bottles getting in to the ocean. But all of that is just a start. That's just the tip of the iceberg. We need to go further, faster and harder. We need to keep calling out businesses and government when they're not moving at the pace that this decade and this time requires. This was actually at G7 
um, one of our biggest uh, moments after the lockdowns, quite an emotional moment down in Cornwall. We had about 1,500 people in the water with us um, to call for faster action on the ocean and climate emergency. We'll be taking a manifesto that we've brought together with young people to COP26 to deliver to the environment secretary. Um, and so this is really all about people power. And, and why do we care? Um, and we care because the ocean means so much to all of us in so many different ways. We have one ocean, we're all connected by that ocean. It is one global ocean. I, I just wanted to, to finish, you know, the ocean is, is so important to, to all life on Earth. Um, of course, it's important to the surfers in the audience and the swimmers in the audience who like to ride waves or, or swim in the beautiful ocean, but it, it gives us so much more than that. Um, our oxygen, um, protein for much of the world, um, and so many emotional um, connections, physical and well-being benefits. And so we have to put it at the cent- centre of the recovery of nature on this planet. We are dependent on nature. And I wanted to leave you with a quote of of my very favourite author of all time, Rachel Carson. I'm sure many of you have read Silent Spring. Um, The road we have long been travelling is deceptively easy, a smooth superhighway on which we progress with great speed, but at its end lies disaster. The other fork of the road, the one less travelled, offers our last, our only chance to reach a destination that assures the preservation of the earth. And truthfully, we've all got to ask ourselves, are we doing enough? Are we going fast enough? Are we getting rid of things we don't need in our life? Can we do with less? Um, And let's all put the ocean at the front of our thinking in terms of the recovery of this beautiful blue planet that we live on. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed that inspiring talk and gained some proper actionable insight. Please look out for the next episode. And if you haven't signed up for the film versions, please visit the Blue Earth website at blueearthsummit.com. Blue Earth Summit is happening from the 11th to the 13th of October 2022 in the great city of Bristol. We believe in the power of the outdoors to improve our health and further establish purpose-led business. Register your interest at blueearthsummit.com.